is Mark chapter 6 and verse 14. Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah. Others said, it is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask, I will give, up, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give, it, give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison. He brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And when the girl gave it to, the, to her mother, when his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Let's pray. Lord God, as we deal with this gruesome text we have before us this morning, we pray that you would help us to see you more clearly through it. We pray, Lord God, that we would learn lessons for ourselves and that we would be encouraged even in the face of what seems like one of the worst possible outcomes we could imagine. We pray that we would see your goodness and your greatness and your unstoppability through all of this. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Today you might have been hoping after last week to see a bit more of an upswing in the tone of Mark's gospel. Uh, Last week we saw the rejection of Christ in his hometown. We did see him sending out the 12 apostles two by two to do great and mighty and wonderful things. But the, the rejection was really hard for us to ignore. And even when Jesus sent out the, uh, the 12 apostles, he sent them out acknowledging to them that uh, if you're rejected, I'm saying when you're rejected at a certain house, shake the dust from under your feet, move on to the next place. The, the note of rejection was quite strong. The gospel continues. Jesus wasn't thwarted by the rejection, but the rejection was very real. And one of the things I said is that the nature of Mark's gospel at the moment is a bit of a pendulum. It's swinging between opposition to rejection. Things are going really well, people are responding well, people then responding not so well. Maybe that made you hope this week would be good. This would be a really positive part of Mark's gospel to get to. And it's all positive because it's the good news. But it's gruesome what we see here. Sadly, this is telling us the events of the, the death, the, the beheading of John the Baptist. The, the nature of John the Baptist's death is, is gross. 
the nature of the relationships and the attitudes we see, particularly by the Roman authorities, they are gross and disgusting. Now, before we get too far into it, we should start at the beginning of what Mark has in store for us. And as we get into this passage today, there's a little bit of time jumping going on here. Verses 14 to 18 are set after the events of verses 19 to 29. Verse 19 to 29 explain the death of John the Baptist. Verses 14 to 18 seems to be Herod talking with people about the death of John the Baptist. So there's a little bit of a a change in time there, but it's a a recollection that, that, that Mark is giving us. And it all starts off with Herod hearing about him. Now, the him there is, of course, Jesus. He heard about Jesus because Jesus' name had become very well known. Now, think about that for just a minute. The impact of Jesus' ministry, that his name had become so well known that even Herod was hearing about it. Jesus had spent time in Jerusalem. At least three times a year he'd been in Jerusalem. But we've seen him go over to the other side of the the Sea of Galilee, long way up the end of the Jordan River to the Gerasenes. We see him in small towns. We see him working around Galilee. But we don't really see Jesus practicing ministry through Mark's gospel in Jerusalem itself. But still, the impact of Jesus' ministry is so great, the scope has been so massive, that despite what you could say has largely been out in the sticks, Herod hears about him. He hears about Jesus. This is the impact of Jesus' ministry. It was significant, powerful, mighty things were taking place. Herod heard, and Herod's response was not one of joy. Now, leaders don't like hearing about other leaders who become popular in the worldly setting, do they? But it's not just, this is a threat to my authority. Herod's response, which we read in verses 14 through to 18, it's a response of fear. It's a response of fear. The aspects of Jesus being a greater leader than Herod and a threat to Herod's reign aren't what's brought into focus here by Mark. What's brought into focus is a specific reaction of Herod. Herod wants to know who this is. Herod has an idea about who this is. Herod's idea about who this is, is John the Baptist who he had beheaded. John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and because he's risen from the dead, these powers are working in him, he's out to get me. Now, the other people we see in that discussion don't really know what to make of Jesus, do they? Who is he really? Maybe there's a bit of a follow-on question from what we read at the start of Mark there. Who is this? Who is this that can do such things? And they come up with suggestions of who it is. Maybe it's Elijah. Maybe it's the prophet. Maybe, maybe it's just one of the other prophets. We don't know. There's something prophetic about this guy. We don't really know. But Herod, even though he seems to be having a discussion with people about who this is, now he's made his mind up. This is John the Baptist back from the dead with powers working, acknowledgement of great things happening, and he's out to get him. How many books and how many movies have we read that have revolved around the theme of revenge? 
I believe there was even a TV show at one point in time called Revenge. I don't think it was too hard to figure out the plot of that one. I never watched any of it. Hey, we're not unfamiliar with it. and We might go, well, that's books and TVs today. Think about Greek tragedies and novels that they, and stories that they told. Think about Odysseus and the Iliad, which is presumably written about 700 years before Christ. These guys knew all about revenge. You've got Hector killing Achilles, or Achilles killing Hector and the response to that. All these horrific things going on. These guys were just as familiar as us because we are all fallen human beings. They were very familiar with the idea of revenge. Herod would not be happy to think that John the Baptist is back from the dead. What do I have to do to stop this guy? It wouldn't have been a comfortable situation to be in. Now, he's wrong as to who this is. This is Jesus. But Herod thinks, no, this is, this is John the Baptist who I, who I killed. Now, there is some topsy-turvy stuff going on right there. But we maybe have questions. Now, we did read it, so those questions have largely been answered. But if we're just coming in here at this point in Mark's Gospel, we get to verse 18, we go, even verse 14, how did John die? He was fine the last time we heard of him. What has happened with John that now all of a sudden he's dead? And that Herod himself killed him? What has John said that has upset Herod and the royals so much that we've got to this point? Consider the nature of John and his ministry. He was admittedly a bit of a wild man and he lived in the wilderness. Now, if anyone was going to be considered Elijah because of both the, the, the diet, the dress, the, the tone, really, we were looking at John the Baptist as that guy there. He baptised, though. He was in the wilderness. He baptised and he taught that the Lamb of God who would be revealed as Jesus was on the way. In fact, when he saw Jesus at Jesus' baptism, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He was there to prepare the way for the Messiah of the world. Now, maybe we think that all John did was just baptise people and that was all he did. There's his circuit of baptism and only baptising. He didn't really say anything else other than baptism. But I think John would have had a far fuller ministry than that. And many people, particularly early in Mark, tells us that many people went out to the wilderness to hear what John was saying. Now, from what the way Mark puts it, you'd imagine people from all sorts of uh, socioeconomic uh, spectrum were, were going out to hear him. Well, I doubt Herod was one of those people. Even though Herod himself didn't go out, though, what John taught was a message of fullness. Because John's message, just like the words of every prophet and every word of scripture recorded for us, is for all people. It is for all people in all places. It challenges rich people, it challenges poor people. It challenges kings and it challenges paupers. It challenges royals and it challenges beggars. We all need to hear the words of God. John took the job that God had given him very seriously. And it seemed he, just, he didn't just talk about baptism all the time. He spoke about issues that people face, spiritual issues facing the people. And he included in that things that people needed to repent from. 
he spoke about the illegality of Herod being married to his brother's wife. Now, this is a gross relationship. This is not right. This is not proper. Herod had been sleeping with, and to make it seem good and proper, his brother's Philip's wife. The the messiness of the relationship is right there for us in verses 17 and 18. It's ugly. It's improper. It's illegal. It was even illegal in, in Roman culture where so many things were just allowed to happen. There's no way you can pretend that this is okay, but this is a guy who is given the stewardship over Israel and the surrounding areas doing this, living like this. John spoke this gospel message which reached all people, just as we should speak the gospel to reach all people. Now, this had upset Herodias. It upset her a lot. She wanted to kill John. This is Philip's wife, who is now Herod's wife. It's very confusing. She wanted to kill John the Baptist. How dare you say that about me? How dare you say that about my relationship? I'll do what I want. If you want to say something different, I'm just going to kill you. Now, Herod didn't actually want to kill John. He arrested him, and we actually read in in verse 20, that he protected him. He arrested John to protect John. Interesting thing. Surely there were other things that he could have done. But this is what's happened. We need to understand the mess that was in Israel at the time. It's easy for us to historically look back at laws that were often enforced by the Roman Empire, to look at the roads that lasted far longer than our roads seem to last today, to look at the infrastructure, to look at the perception of civility within the Roman Empire. But what we read here shows us the depravity and the degradation of any society that is not founded upon God's word. The Roman religion was what we call a Hellenistic religion. It just basically combined all sorts of religions from all over the place. They just renamed the Greek gods when they became more powerful than the Greeks. Basically, if you want a god for this, we'll add a god to our pantheon. We'll we'll make it work. And these weren't real gods. They were just human concepts. And it's a a pantheon of false gods who the Romans worshipped. It's only going to result in depravity. There is moral bankruptcy there. And we aren't surprised. This week we had world leaders saying that the United Nations have been morally bankrupt in regard to the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. We should not be surprised when we see nations and powers who have nothing uh, of concern with God, who don't care about God whatsoever, demonstrating moral bankruptcy. Again, this is gross. And this is disgusting, but it shouldn't be surprising when people choose to live apart from God. Other than God and his word, which is what John taught, which is what the prophets had taught, which is what Jesus really brought in the fullest way possible, where do we find a comprehensive worldview? Where do we find anywhere comprehensive 
that prevents this disgusting type of theft of, a, of your brother's wife, that maintains the rightness of what was once called the, the nucleus family, that, that maintains the sanctity of life. We find it nowhere other than God and his word. We don't find it anywhere else. And when worldviews, when beliefs, when practices apart from God are challenged, the response is hostile. We see last week the rejection of Jesus. He taught repentance and the sin. People said, no, we don't like this, not for any reason of fault with what he's saying. We just don't like that this guy's telling us this. So we reject it. John taught repentance as all the prophets did, and he was locked up. And we're going to read about even more depravity that was about to happen to John. Herodias hated this message. She wanted to kill him. Herod said, I don't want to kill him, so I'll imprison him instead. He tried to shut it down. But John knew that everyone from the lamest beggar to Herod needed to hear what he as a prophet had to say, so he kept speaking the truth. These things wouldn't have happened quickly. Word would have got out that John's life was in danger. But he kept speaking the truth. And that is something for us to consider. Do we stop speaking the truth because of the intimidation our boss has over us at times? Do we stop evangelising to our neighbours because of how they respond? Do we stop talking to our family members about God and church because it's just easier to have a quiet get-together without bringing religion into it? For the kids, do you talk to your school friends about God or does a teasing make you stop? See, John didn't back down. He kept preaching the good news. We know it cost him his life, but he kept doing it. As we do look further through, particularly verses 21 through 29, I think there's a lesson there for leaders. And when I say leaders, it's sometimes easier when you hear leader from the pulpit, just think church leader. Whether you're a leader at home, whether you're a leader in church, whether you're a leader in your workplace, in your family, among your school friends, there is a lesson here for us to not be weak. See, Herodias is ultimately the one who makes the request for John's head to be put on a platter through her daughter. But Herod is responsible for the killing of John. And from verse 19 onwards, particularly 21 onwards, we see a very weak leader. We see a man who is given to lust. We see a man who who lets his wife wear the pants, as it were. We see a man who is influenced in his decisions by who he makes his promises in front of. There is a weakness to Herod despite all of the earthly power that he has. This is a weak man who we see presented before us. And we saw in Jeremiah chapter 3 that the people hadn't returned to God with their whole heart, had they? Verse 20 is an interesting note about Herod where some people try and say, actually, he's a better guy than we make him out to be. He feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man and protected him. He protected him. That's a good thing. He recognized the justness and the holiness of John the Baptist. That's a good thing. And when he heard him, When he heard him, Herod himself heard John, he did many things and heard him gladly. 
but his whole heart did not return, did it? He didn't give up his illegal relationship with his wife. He didn't show full repentance. He did many good things, but that is different from having faith. It shows the importance of faith. Obedience to what we hear in God's word is fantastic. It is brilliant. But God cares about the true inclination of our hearts. So while we have that glimmer of positivity for Herod in verse 20, it all goes to custard very quickly again. It goes to custard at his birthday party. It's a party. This is going to be good, right? Who doesn't love a good party? I'm sure we've all been to those parties that are just really, really memorable. Those ones that you stick in your head for the rest of your life. Now, maybe that's because it was an amazing night. Maybe it's because it was just so bad it was funny. I have very vivid memories of one of my mate's 18th birthday parties. He sent out an invitation to a dress-up party for pirates. I thought it was a bit weird because he wasn't really into dress-up parties. His mum was very into that sort of thing, so I thought maybe she had a bit of influence on the planning. So I went along to this party dressed as a pirate. Now at this party there were effectively three groups. Yeah, parties people split up into who they know. There were people from his church, his school friends and his family. I knew maybe a third of the people there and I was the only one who'd received an invitation to a pirate party. I was the only party, only pirate at that party that night. Everyone else was dressed normally. That night I made two decisions. One was I was going to stay in character for the rest of the night. Uh, Secondly was that I really despised dress-up parties. See, sometimes these things are just memorable. For me, that's not actually a great memory. But this party was far, far, far worse. The bigwigs are there. Herodias and her daughter are there. And this is where we see that where Herod has done many things that John said, he is a weak foolish man who's driven by his lust. Herodias' daughter danced for them. Now, we can't say definitively, but it seems quite certain that this was not a G-rated dance. And it's a dance that pleased Herod. Now, this is a guy already sleeping with his brother's wife, and now he's lusting after his brother's daughter by marriage, his own stepdaughter. We talk about gross things happening. This is horrific. She pleased him and he made a foolish promise. I'll give you whatever you ask for, even up to half the kingdom. I'll give you anything you want, even up to half the kingdom. So the girl consulted her mother and Herodias asked for the head of John the Baptist. Herod, who Mark tells us tried to protect John, now kills John. He sent the executioner because of who he'd made this promise in front of. Lust, weakness, sin doesn't lead to anything good. This man who Herod knew as a just man, as a holy man, this prophet of God was beheaded. And his head was placed on a platter. That platter was given to this girl and the girl gives it to her mother. This is a grisly scene. This was not a good party. Why 
what had John done? He preached the word of God. He preached the word of God. That was what John had done. He was faithful to God. And for his faithfulness, he was beheaded. Is this what we can expect for sharing the good news? Should we expect bad things for speaking of the best news ever? Well, sadly, yes, we can expect bad things to happen when we stand for what is good and right and proper. When we stand for God, the world will oppose it. We saw last week opposition to Jesus himself. We have a truth in the gospel, the truth in the gospel that does hurt, that does call for repentance, it calls for change, it calls for submission to God, no longer letting ourselves think that we are the number one authority in our lives. It's a hard thing to hear. There will be opposition. But something we can learn which is encouraging is that just because John died, the good news did not stop. His disciples were still active, we read at the end there. Yes, active in collecting his body. But they were still active. We know through the other Gospels that many of, of John the Baptist's disciples became disciples of Jesus, which is exactly what John wanted. The good news continued. As awesomely as God used John, as awesomely as God might use any single one of us, his kingdom is far bigger than any one of us. Now, now, this doesn't mean that we are tools that God is happy to see broken and disposed of. He is a God of justice and vengeance. He is good and he is faithful and he is able. And as he has saved us from sin, he might use us to save others from sin. And while we might face incredible hardship here on earth, we know that our souls are safe with him. Our souls are safe with him. We are promised, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, a beautiful resurrection body. No matter what happens, it can't take away the joy of those promises that God's given us. It doesn't mean that we face the, the hardships of life with laughter and a flippant attitude. It doesn't mean that at all. But we have confidence in God in every single circumstance. Now maybe that cost, even if it is a potential cost, seems too high. Maybe we think we're worth more than this. Maybe we're worth more than mistreatment. What have I done that I would deserve this? Or I don't want to be treated like that, so I'm not going to. People should be nicer to me because I'm a good guy. Consider Christ once more. The perfect, holy one who has crushed that you and I may go free. If he would give his life, can we really say that our lives are worth more than that? That our lives are worth more than the perfect life of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity? 
how could we be any less prepared to give our whole lives? Now, we can and we should pray that God might protect us from paying such a heavy price. But if the gospel requires it, keep serving right up until the very end. And even to those people who mistreat us, even to them, we share the gospel. Verse 20 is just such an intriguing verse here, isn't it? It seems that John the Baptist shared the gospel with his prisoner. With the one who had put him in prison, he shared the gospel with even him. What humility before God. What amazing humility before God to do that. He could have been angry. He could have given Herod the silent treatment. He could have said, I'm not saying anything until I get a lawyer in here. But he shared the gospel even with Herod. John taught the one who imprisoned him. So we learn from this that we need to be ready in all situations to teach, to love, and to live out the gospel and stand ready to give it all to the one who loves us eternally. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this portion of your word, as gruesome and horrific as so many aspects of this are. We thank you for what we learn here. We thank you for the example of John, that he didn't shy away from teaching the truth. We thank you for the other gospel accounts which flesh that out for us even further. And we pray, O God, that we would have such an attitude ourselves, that we follow in the footsteps of John, but most importantly in the footsteps of Christ, willing to lay our whole life down for the sake of your kingdom, for the glory of your name, for the honour of your church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.